St. Augustine, and his book has come out of that, um, The Theological Epistemology of Augustine's De Trinitate. So um, he's kind of a very exciting person to have amongst us because he brings together a number of different worlds. He's at home in British theology. Uh, he's um, in the center of things in Rome. He's coming from uh, monastic life. Uh, he's also uh, the most enthusiastic Catholic Bardian I've ever met. So a fan of Karl Barth. So he, uh, <laughs> um, and I first came across his name from uh, a young monk who'd been who wanted to do a PhD on Karl Barth and a Catholic thinker. It didn't matter too much which one who'd been inspired to read Karl Barth by Luigi. Um, and also maybe the only Benedictine monk I've come across who hangs out at Holy Trinity Brompton Church some of the time. So uh, a fairly fascinating combination. And uh, so I'm about to hand over to you. But before I do that, I should take the count for how many people would like to join us for dinner uh, afterwards. Can you raise your hand? Even if you didn't sign up before, you can still do this. So everyone who's come. Seven, eight. I counted properly. Yes, eight. So, okay. And so we're going to speak that's on history and church and Augustine's understanding of the self. Well, thank you for welcoming um, me, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. I've never been to Durham before, uh, so it's uh, this far north. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's of England. I've been to Scotland, but not... Uh, um, and, um, um, and it's a beautiful place, and I can see a very lively um, faculty. So it's a real, real pleasure to be here. So the topic, history and church in Augustine's understanding of the self, I suppose it's, um, it concerns the genesis of Western personal identity. How um, do we come to have the notion of personal identity we have today? So it's a moment in the, uh, the development of this um, notion, if we want. And uh, also it is about the relation between the sense of personal identity and how we know and how we grow both at a personal and a, a social level. This is why um, history and church in Augustine's understanding of the self. What we mean when we say I, huh? uh, and especially how we come to saying I. Uh, Augustine is considered one of those who has most decisively, decisively contributed to, um, to uh, this happening. So I'll start uh, by quoting, and you have a handout, and I'll refer to the, to the quotations by the number, um, so that you know, if I have to skip one of the quotations, you know where we are uh, in this. So in his inquiry on the sources of the self and on the development of modern identity, Charles Taylor, uh, I, I suppose you know him, unconditionally ascribes to Augustine the invention of what he calls, you have in quotation number one, the inwardness of radical reflexivity in Western thought. 
uh, attending to oneself and care of the self were not unknown, of course, before Augustine. Uh, they were already part of the monastic tradition, for instance, in the 4th century in um, Egypt. But the novelty uh, Augustine introduced is, in quotation number two, a shift of the focus, according to Taylor, from the field of objects known to the activity itself of knowing. We become aware of our awareness. We try to experience our experiencing. This inwardness is radical, <coughs> Sorry, according to Taylor, because everything is seen from the viewpoint of the self, and personal existence itself becomes the epistemological foundation of everything else. Quotation number three, it is a feature of this certainty that is a certainty for me, I am certain of my existence, the certainty is contingent of the fact that nowhere unknown are the same, it is a certainty of self-presence. And certainty concerning God's existence, too, rests on the certainty concerning the self. Quotation number four. At the end of this road, we see that God's is the power sustaining and directing this activity, not the transcendent object or just the principle of order, not just what we long to see, but what powers the eye which sees. Now, Taylor's speculation, I quote him, but I could quote other people, are based on the well-known connection between self-knowledge and knowledge of God, which is pervasive in Augustine's works. Already, uh, just after his conversion, um, after 386, um, uh, writing his dialogues, and particularly uh, his soliloquia, Augustine would say that, I want to know you, and I want to know myself. Um, and so... From the beginning, he had this kind of connection between self-knowledge and knowledge of God. There was this kind of connection in his thought. But if the existence of this connection is undeniable, and we are going to see a lot of it in the paper tonight, two other features that these authors attribute to it require, I think, a critical verification. Taylor and Hanke is another author I didn't quote um, tonight, but says the same thing. Uh, think that the Augustinian self appears as a byproduct of the process through which Augustine tries to establish the epistemological certainty, the certainty concerning the nature and existence of God, having established the former, the epistemological certainty, so what makes us certain uh, or a certain kind of knowledge, uh, he would be able to explore the latter, uh, so certainty about the existence of God. And this ordering, obviously, is not neutral. It is already fraught with the possibility of considering the affirmation of the existence of God unnecessary and redundant. And we have here one of the causes of, um, or possible causes of modern atheism. In fact, even though in this version of Augustine's argument, God still is the ground of the being of the person, and even though the certainty of God's existence still is in integral to the certainty about the self, the certainty about God's existence still results from the certainty of the self. The basis for an identif identification between thought, being, and individuality are thus established. You have recognized in what I've just said to you um, uh, a Cartesian kind of argument, or a proto-Cartesian argument, 
And one of the, um, <clears throat> if you want, common ideas about a lot of um, scholars, who are not Augustinian scholars, but you know, use Augustine, is that Augustine is a proto-Cartesian, uh, has anticipated this argument. And indeed, an almost literal uh, formulation, not of the cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, but paradoxically of a dubito ergo sum, I doubt, therefore I am, is to be found in Augustine's De Trinitate. Uh, and we are going to see this quotation later on in the paper. Of course, Descartes knew uh, Augustine well and took inspiration from his works, but is it fair to state that Augustine deduces existence directly from one's ability to make mistakes, thus considering that there is an identity between subjectivity, thought, and being? Uh, I don't think so, and my paper is going to um, kind of prove, um, argue this. Um, so the questions uh, I want to challenge, uh, the questions um, um, this interpretation give rise to are the following. Is it possible to equate, equate self-knowledge and knowledge of God? Can we state that interiority is the way to God on the basis of the fact that God, God is to be found into, into the intimacy of uh, uh, or self-presence. And finally, can we consider Augustine as the originator of that strand of Western spirituality which sought the certainty of God uh, within and the certainty of everything else um, within? So, you probably have recognized here um, uh, the standard uh, interpretation of Augustine as being the father of modernity. So, uh, I'm not the only one who challenges this interpretation. Uh, in this um, department, you have obviously Louis Ayres, who has been very strong in arguing against it, and before him, Ron Williams has done a lot um, in this uh, field. I've taken up from them uh, this argument, and I developed it in my own work on Augustine's um, De Trinitate. So, the way I want to develop the paper today is uh, textual-based. So, I'm going to take the Confessions, and the beginning of the Confessions, uh, because um, that, the, probably the confessions have been hugely important, as you know, uh, in Western philosophy and spirituality, and, and you know, and, um, and especially, let's say, especially in philosophy. Um, um, and because even if uh, this identification I told you about between self-knowledge and knowledge of God was present earlier in the thought of Augustine, it is in the Confessions that we see the emergency, the emergency of the appearance of the self. And it is very interesting, or at least it struck me, when I went back to the Confessions, confessions having worked on the De Trinitate, to see how the self appears in the Confessions. You're going to see this is, I think, very interesting. The Confessions open, as you know, with a prayer in which already within the first page the subject goes from the third person, um, homo, et laudare te vult homo, the human person wants to praise you, to the first person, indeed, grant me, Lord, this text number eight, grant me, Lord, to know and to understand. Um, significantly, though, this self appears in the act of questioning, not itself. Uh, uh, so we are already kind of find a challenge to the argument of radical reflexivity Taylor talks about. Not in the act of questioning itself, but God. 
The object of this question is a priority. Is it praying God that comes first, or is it rather invoking him, or else knowing him? And here we have another problem, which is probably the main problem that bothers Augustine, which is not so much the self, but how do we come to know God? The self appears not in the act of reflecting on itself, but of turning to other than itself, and of asking, is it you that come first, Lord, or is it me? And the final answer of Augustine will be, obviously, it, um, it is the Lord that comes first. Unexpectedly, the answer to this question leads to turning away from oneself. And you have, uh, in, in text number nine, have a look at this text and you see if you find something, um, which uh, the thing that struck me when I read it. My faith, Lord, calls upon you. It is your gift to me. You breathed it into me by the humanity of your son, by the ministry of your preacher. Now, what is the subject in this text? This is very interesting. The subject in this text is not even the I anymore, but it is faith. Faith becomes the subject. Faith and self coincide. The questioning subject here is a faith given and inspired through a mediation which is external, which is empirical, and which is temporal. Because faith is, not, is never something we give to ourselves. It's something that comes to us through preaching, through the church, through historical uh, mediation, historical and social mediation. But this is not all. The turning away from the self is strengthened even further as the identity of the God Augustine is questioning is unfolded through a series of attributes that stress both the immanence of God, yes, but also his transcendence, his immutability and his involvement in history, his self-sufficiency and his need, because God is needy. Uh, God wants us. There's an eros in God. The self-emergence, therefore, uh, sorry, the self, the self emerges, therefore, as an answer to an interlocutor who cannot be objectified or treated as a third in the third person. It is impossible to maintain a distance to claim a neutral stance in relation to such a counterpart who always and radically precedes the self. Therefore, and I summarized my argument here in your text number 11, if we find something we can call a self in Augustine, at the very least we have to acknowledge that it emerges not through self-reflection, but dialogically, not spontaneously by its own initiative, but by vocation, that is because it is summoned through an historical and temporal mediation, you have been preached to us, says Augustine, and by the ministry of your preacher, not for knowledge of itself, but to acknowledge and to reflect this presence that precedes the self and reveals it to itself. And this word acknowledge is very important, because as you know, the word confessio, confessiones in Latin, does not mean, first of all, confessing one sin, but means, first of all, praise, and even more radically means acknowledge, acknowledging God. Therefore, if we talk of reflexivity in Augustine, it is not with reference to an act of radical reflexivity, so radical turning on oneself, as Taylor says, but to the act of reflecting God, of discovering oneself as a reflection of God, as an image of God, which is the main theme of the De Trinitate, summoned not only to existence, but to awareness by God. 
To establish this point more firmly, it is worth lingering on the non-spontaneous character of self-knowledge, therefore, um, or in other ways, of uh, self-knowledge as vocation. I'm going very briefly to mention um, that already from a philosophical viewpoint, it had been established by philosophy before Augustine that we come to know ourselves as a result of being called to do that. The latest motif of Book 10 of the De Trinitate is the well-known Delphic oracle Gnoti se auton, Know Yourself, recalled by Socrates and often quoted by Cicero. Augustine quotes it not least than ten times in the Book 10 of the De Trinitate. Philosophical wisdom already had noticed, therefore, that if we are to know ourselves, we need to be invited to do so. We need to be called. It is a vocation. So, uh, I don't spontaneously know myself. It is only when someone tells to me, know yourself, that I'm provoked to become aware of myself. It is an art, self-knowledge, that requires <coughs> skills and subtlety and improves dialogically. And it is not an accident that Plato developed this, because we all know about Socrates through Plato, through the dialogues. In short, self-knowledge requires a temporal mediation. Now, let's go to uh, text number 12. <clears throat> is a quotation from the Confessions, where Augustine says, Let me confess what I know of myself. Let me confess to what I do not know of myself. For what I know of myself, I know because you grant me light. You see, so here, apertis verbis, really, openly, Augustine acknowledges what I know of myself, I know because you grant me light. And he's talking to God. And what I do not know myself, I do not know until such time as my darkness becomes like noonday before your face. The path of self-knowledge unfolds as vocation. What is the starting point? What triggers it? On which certainty does it rest? We find probably an answer in text number 13. My love for you, Lord, is not uncertain, feeling, an uncertain feeling, but a matter of conscious certainty. With your word, you pierced my heart and I loved you. Heaven and earth and everything in them, on all sides, tell me to love you. <clears throat> This quotation, I think, is very important because it unveils, in the end, the certainty that acts as a starting point that precedes interiorization and provokes it. My love for you, Lord, is not an uncertain feeling but a matter of conscious, conscious certainty. The process of interiorization is triggered by a love that inexplicably precedes us. A love that we discover already present in ourselves, a love that already steers, already stimulates, already urges on the confessio, that is that specific kind of self-knowledge that springs from the very act of acknowledging the prevenient love of God and answering to it in thanksgiving. Thus, if I had to summarize uh, kind of the very sketchy uh, findings from the opening prayer of the confessions, um, I would say that the order between self-knowledge and knowledge of God, between self-awareness and awareness of God, is the exact opposite of what we would expect, or at least what Taylor expects. God precedes our self-awareness. Um, our self-awareness is made possible by this prevenient love that awakes this knowledge, incites it, steers it. When I love you, 
asks Augustine, what do I love? Uh, now you have to be uh, um, I have to um, develop very briefly a very technical point in Augustine's um, epistemology um, which is necessary for us to understand the, um, the, the rest of the argument, which is um, how Augustine understands the process of knowledge, of, of knowledge. Now, what is very interesting, well, first of all, and here I go to the Trinitate, the, the Trinitate, uh, as um, uh, Hanke says, that the Trinitate works out the metaphysics underlying the relation between self-knowledge and knowledge of God, which the Confessions presuppose. So this is why it is very interesting to read the Confessions in the light of Augustine's treatise on the Trinity. And indeed, in the De Trinitate, especially in the relation between Book 8 and 9 to 10, we find a theoretical reformulation of self-knowledge as vocation and of the anteriority of God's provocation that the Confessions display narratively. So first of all, how... Uh, what Augustine now the De Trinitate is not just a treatise on the Trinity for Augustine it is a kind of a summa for Augustine, in which we find uh, not only his Trinitarian doctrine but also his um, soteriology, his Christology, his epistemology, and his anthropology. And when it comes to his epistemology, Augustine describes the process of knowledge um, in a way which is very surprising for us because. Um, and I think that this is one of the most revealing features of Augustine's understanding of the process of knowledge, it is that it is described exactly like a completed sexual intercourse, starting from the initial arousal and ending with the begetting of a child. You have really all the stages of a sexual intercourse in the way it describes knowledge. The different stages of this process, you find them in text number 16, are the appetite or the craving, or the arousal, if you want, the embrace, the copulation, the rest, and the begetting of a child. Now, what is interesting is that, for Augustine, the process of knowledge starts with desire. Um, we only uh, embark in the knowledge of something because a desire is arise, um, 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 arises in us, um, and one of the main questions for Augustine, how does it happen that before knowing something, we desire to know it? It is here that Augustine resorts to the uh, theory of illumination, which is enlightenment, if you want, which is one of the main um, kind of um, uh, epistemological traits uh, of his thought, um, um, which I interpret as, um, for Augustine, uh, not providing the material content of, a, of, uh, of our knowledge, but um, the formal conditions. So, um, the example Augustine takes, uh, when I want to learn a language, uh, why do I want to know it? What is the initial desire uh, to know a language? Where does it come from? It comes from the fact of seeing the beauty and the utility of learning a language from uh, the, this light uh, in which we know everything else. So, illumination uh, is that in which I see, even before knowing something, that it is beautiful to know this thing, and it is useful to do that. Uh, once the desire has been, uh, has been kind of set off, um, I go from the first stage, which is the appetite, to the embrace. And the embrace is described by Augustine as um, uh, a loved notion, a notion with love. Um, so I come to the idea 
of something, the notion with something, and I love it, um, and I embrace it. Um, and in this case, Augustine will say that a word is uh, born, in, is actually is conceived in us. Uh, but the, the process of knowledge does not terminate with the notion which is uh, conceived in us. Um, so, to take an example, um, um, chocolate. Uh, when I say chocolate, everyone you know, says, okay, that's, I can understand. So, chocolate is, uh, when I have the notion of chocolate, uh, I love the notion of chocolate, something which is sweet, makes me happy, and so on and so forth. Uh, but I cannot say that I know what chocolate, chocolate is only when I have the notion of chocolate, and I love that notion. For Augustine, you know the thing only when you actually taste it, when you enjoy it, when you uh, are united yourself with it. In this case, we, know fr we go from uh, the notion only conceived to the notion which is born. Um, so this is the begetting of a child. And in the case of chocolate, that is, in the, in the case of uh, bodily things, there is a distinction with, with, between the, the word born and the word, sorry, the word conceived and the word born. The word conceived is the idea which I love, which is in my mind, and the word is born only when I actually taste the chocolate, enjoy it, and now I really know what chocolate is, and uh, my process of knowledge is completed. In the case of non-bodily realities, of, uh, let's say, the notion of justice, for instance, this is the example Augustine gives, we have a reality which is not outside ourselves, but is inside ourselves. So in this case... I love the notion of justice, so this is the word uh, conceived, um, but the word uh, conceived, how does it become the word uh, born? So how is the knowledge of this thing completed? And Augustine will say, I, don't, I cannot say that I know justice only when I have an idea of it, but only when I love it. And it is important to love this notion of justice because this notion is at the same time a forma, I would say, a form. And the, uh, a form is something that um, uh, the inner dynamism of a form is that it wants to inform us, it wants to transform us. So I can say that I know what justice is only when the notion of justice has transformed me. Huh? Uh, has made me just. And to become just, uh, even before I make just actions, uh, I become just the moment I love this notion of justice and I am converted to it. So that in the case of non-bodily or intellectual um, uh, realities, uh, the, the completed process of knowledge is produced thanks to love, uh, that makes me, that converts me to this idea, that transforms me through a um, conversion. Now, this is important um, because um, it allows us to establish that um, love is the most important thing in the process of knowledge in Augustine. It starts with, under the form of desire, as that which sets off the process. It is, it is that which makes me adhere to the notion and it is that which leads me to the completed knowledge, which in the case of chocolate is tasting it, and in the case of justice is converting me um, to the point that this notion transforms uh, me. 
So the shaping, the converting factor is love. Uh, and hence, it becomes very important for Augustine to wonder, to reflect uh, um, about what kind of love is operative in this process. Because the success or the failure in the process of, of uh, knowledge and consequently the failure or the success in, um, in knowledge to court and generally and in life depends on the quality of our love. And here I come to the self. So I needed to make this kind of slightly technical point about the process of knowledge uh, because this is important to understand what the mind, what personal identity, what self-knowledge um, is. Only by taking into account, and I am uh, number 20 now, only by taking into account the key role played by love in the process of knowledge, which I tried briefly to describe to you, it is possible to understand Augustine's notion of the self, which is the same thing as the mind and is inseparably being aware of oneself. So the self is, I am aware of myself, which Augustine's called calls self-memory, knowing that I am aware of myself, self-knowledge, and loving the fact that I am aware of myself. So for Augustine, self-awareness, knowing that I am aware of myself, and loving this are simultaneous. The moment I, I, I know myself, I become aware of myself, I know myself, and I love myself. So the self for Augustine... Uh, which is the same, uh, same thing as the mind, is the awareness that prevents us from becoming a kind of pilotless boat uh, with desire running wild and attracting us to everything that shines, thus compromising the whole process of knowledge. You have quotation number 21, which is a very important one in the, um, the Trinitate, uh, in which Augustine says, so the mind itself assembles notions um, both of bodily things through the senses of the body and of non-bodily things through itself. Therefore, it knows itself through itself because it is non-bodily. Anyhow, says Augustine, if it does not know itself, it does not love itself. So, since it is a non-bodily reality, like the notion of justice I described to you earlier on. And since non-bodily realities are known through the mens, through the mind, mind only knows itself through itself. And since, as we saw in the description of the process of knowledge of spiritual realities, the latter imply the role of love and of a conversion, we have to conclude, conclude what follows. We know ourselves, so we, we become aware of ourselves, not when we elaborate a definition of ourselves. Just as with justice, we, do not, we don't know justice only when we have the notion of justice. <coughs> when we are converted, we are transformed by it, becoming just in our turn. So when it comes to self-knowledge, it's not just when we have a definition of the self that we know ourselves, but when become, we become aware of ourselves, which is self-memory, which requires a sort of conversion, and when we become aware of ourselves by loving ourselves. For Augustine, the mind is self-awareness, is self-knowledge. We have the text number 22. When the mind is told 
know thyself. So we find again the Delphic Oracle, Gnotis Eoton, which I told you is quoted ten times in Book 10. The mind knows itself the very moment, you see, eoictu in Latin, it understands what thyself is. And for no other reason, for no other reason than that, than that it is present to itself. If it does not understand what is said, then naturally it does not do it. So it is being commanded to do something which automatically does the moment it understands the command. You know if you, you get what he's trying to say. If never, nobody never has told you, know thyself, chances are that you are not, you have never become, you never had any level of self-awareness. But the moment someone tells you, know thyself, and you understand what know thyself means, you become aware of yourself. Eoictu, the very moment you understand what this means. This point is, is restated several times under different forms. Even when the mind tries to know itself, it knows itself in the act of making this attempt. Paradoxically, even when the mind thinks it ignores itself, or doubts about itself, or about anything else, it knows itself in the act of ignoring or of doubting itself. So, even when I say, well, I don't know if I know myself, uh, I'm saying, I don't know if I don't know myself. So I'm already in the process of talking about myself and reflecting on myself. So even if I say, I doubt myself, I'm aware of something which is the self. You have another quotation here, which is number 23. It follows then that it simply cannot not know itself, since by the very fact of knowing itself not knowing, it knows itself. If it did not know itself not knowing, it would not seek to know itself. So I know that this seems a bit complicated, but the, the key idea is that the moment you are told, know yourself, you know yourself, you know that you are self-awareness. Now, we reach here the key junction. Why to do all this discourse about mm, being, us being um, self-awareness and so on and so forth? Um, it is because Augustine comes here, comes here up to a, a very key question for his whole epistemological project. Uh, and uh, the key question is, why is it that know thyself is to become an injunction, a command, despite the fact that self-awareness constitutes the very substance of the mind. So, if we are <coughs> self-awareness, why is it that we have to be invited to become aware of ourselves? Why we need an injunction, an external injunction? Why we need a command to become aware of this? How can we explain the fact that the mind loses self-knowledge? How is it possible that such a foundational epistemological given has become unavailable to us? The whole section between book 9 and 14 of the De Trinitate can be seen as an attempt to solve this mystery. Augustine himself openly declares in book 14 that all along his intention had been that of leading his reader to the acknowledgement that he does not know, that he ignores the most basic thing about himself, that he is self-knowledge. His own effort of clarification does not overcome his perplexity altogether. He says, quotation number 24, how the mind cannot be in its own view 
when it is not thinking about itself, seeing that it can never be without itself, as though it were one thing and its view another, I cannot really fathom. So how is it possible that we forget that we are self-knowledge and self-awareness? I don't understand. In an attempt to explain this anomaly, Augustine unfolds a sort of genesis of alienation of the self, which is one of the most powerful and suggestive passages of the whole treatise, uh, which I'm not going to describe in detail, but basically the idea is that we prefer knowledge of bodily things to the knowledge of non-bodily things. Knowledge of bodily things, chocolate, is something that uh, pushes us outside ourselves. And we uh, uh, glue, we kind of attach ourselves to these realities outside ourselves so much that we identify with them and we forget um, that we are self-knowledge. So basically chocolate is the culprit of uh, ignoring ourselves. So man chocolate is not just bad for the diet, it's also bad for self-knowledge. Starting from empirical knowledge and up to knowledge of intellectual realities in the light of truth itself, a pivotal postulate of Augustine's epistemology is that the will is never neutral. Will means for Augustine desire, love, longing. It can never be envisaged as a mechanical force duly regulated by a reason which could apply it to the pursuing of its aim, so to speak, at will. The key declaration of the role of the will in the process of knowledge, and particularly of the role of the will in the completion of this process by the begetting of an inner word, runs as follows. The word is conceived in love of either the creature or the creator, that is, of changeable nature or unchangeable truth. And had this statement not been clear enough, he immediately qualifies the alternative, either in covetousness or charity. So basically, we never are neutral in the way we love things. <coughs> Our love either is a form of lust or is a form of, uh, let's say, charity. The will which presides over runs through or is breathed into the whole process of knowledge, thus conferring to it its peculiar living, moving and elusive character is never a neutral force. It is either a form of lust or is God's given love. It, is either, it either inverts the right order between using and enjoying or respects their hierarchy. To paraphrase a well-known sentence from the city of God, two loves not only make two cities, but they also give birth to two opposite manifestations of personal identity. Amor sui, that is, uh, lustful self-love, leads to self-alienation, to a loss of self-awareness and of self-knowledge. And amor dei, love, uh, understood uh, first of all as love from God and then as love for God, leads to full and proper awareness of one's personal identity and to the harmonious unfolding of its intended dynamism. Therefore, on one hand, lust, which is called cupiditas in Augustine's Latin, leads to the loss of self-awareness. And on the other hand, love, the right kind of love, delivers us from this blindness and leads to authentic self-knowledge. And we have here a passage from Book 9, which is 25 in your handout, um, which says what follows. A word is conceived 
in love, so the conceived word is the completed knowledge in Augustine, as I said to you earlier. The word is conceived in love of either the creature or the creator, which means either in covetousness or lust, or in charity. Not that the creature is not to be loved, but if that love is related to the creator, it will no longer be lust but charity. It is only a lust or covetousness when the creature is loved on its own account. Just as you ought to enjoy yourself, not in yourself, but in him who made you, so too, so too with the one with whom you love as yourself. Let us then enjoy both, both ourselves and our brothers in the Lord. Now, this quotation is very important for a whole host uh, of reasons. Um, I just want for the moment to stress the fact, uh, which I've tried to say so far, that the key ingredient in the constitution of personal identity is love. And it has to be the right kind of love. That is God's love. Because without it, there is no authentic self-love, and therefore no self-memory and no self-knowledge. And this love only exists as a movement, only the act of being received and of being directed towards the other person and towards God. This is the meaning of an apparent puzzling aspect of the treatment of love, not only in the De Trinitate, but also in several other of Augustine's works. The inseparability of love for God and love for one's brother implies that when we love our neighbor, we love love itself. So Augustine will say, when we love, there is the lover, there is the beloved, and there is the love, the lover and the beloved each exchange with each other. And when I love someone, I love the love with which I love him. So I don't only love the person, but I also love the love with, him, with which I love the person. So what is loving love? What does loving love mean? I think that Christology and pneumatology here are the proper context of this idea. The love we are invited to love is God's love mediated through Christ in the Holy Spirit. It is not an inner quality, an inner reality, but it is the actual covenantal history of God, of God with us, culminating in the eloquence of Christ's love for us. So, recapitulating what I tried to say at the beginning, um, we come to self-knowledge only through an external call, an external injunction, an external provocation, okay, this philosophy had already understood it, but even more so, uh, we come to self-knowledge according to the whole epistemology of Augustine, only if we love ourselves in the right way. But since there are only two forms of love for Augustine, either lust or God's given love, uh, if it is lust, lust prevents us from knowing ourselves. Uh, so this is the explanation of why we do not become aware of ourselves, or if we come at all to what counts as proper self-knowledge, so a proper sense of self-identity, is only thanks to God's love. And how does God's love reach us? It reaches us through the church and through history, because God's love is the, God, is the love which is mediated through Christ and the Holy Spirit 
which reaches us through preaching, reaches us through the word, uh, reaches us through other people loving us and uh, um, and teaching us us how to love in uh, return. So, since Christ's love is historically and ecclesially mediated, this means that history and church, which is the title of my paper, are essential in the makeup of personal identity in Augustine. Self-awareness is possible when we let ourselves to be loved by God, when thanks to God's vocation and provocation, through its temporal and historical mediation, represented both by the economy of salvation and by relation with other than oneself, with the neighbour, with the community of those who are gathered, called together in the framework of, with, um, of this same economy, and all those who have consciously become its actors and witnesses to the whole of humanity. And I have a sentence which for me has been the, the most important sentence and that set off my interest for Augustine well before I even read the Trinitate, which is number 30, um, have a look at this sentence and you'll see, I don't know if you see what I mean. This is a sentence from the um, uh, sermons on the Gospel of St. John. <clears throat> Augustine says, love your neighbor. Look at the source of your love of your neighbor. There you will see as you may God. So what comes first is love your neighbor. Love can be known only in the act of loving. And when you realize that you are actually loving in a way which is strange to you because you know that this love does not come from you, uh, you have to interrogate yourself. Where does this love come from? And it is there that you are led to discover that this love precedes you and it is God's given love. So, personal identity formally described as self-memory, self-knowledge, and self-love, necessarily imply reference to other than oneself. The whole pedagogy of the De Trinitate is meant to lead the reader to acknowledge and experience himself as image, as a reflection of a reality other than oneself that is God. We, uh, that we are image means that we need to refer ourselves to another to understand who we are, that we need to be in relation with other than ourselves to become aware of our own identity. This other than ourselves is God, or rather the economy through which God makes himself known to us and acts in our favour. So I come to the conclusion. Um, so bear with me another two minutes. We can conclude, therefore, that an interpretation of, Augustine, of the Augustinian dynamic of interiority and transcendence as modern or pre-Cartesian clearly is unreliable. Both the confessions from a narrative viewpoint and the De Trinitate from an epistemological and metaphysical viewpoint steer us in the exact opposite direction. There is no self-awareness that is, no self-knowledge without self-love. However, love is never neutral. It can only be of two kinds. Either it is a disorderly love that turns us away from ourselves, thus obstructing self-knowledge, or it is a theolo theological, historical, and ecclesial love that restoring the right relation to ourselves, to God, 
and to all other creatures restores our possibility to knowing, of knowing ourselves. Such a dynamic of self-knowledge cannot be described simply in terms of interiority and transcendence, but of divine vocation or provocation, through the gift of a love historically mediated in the ecclesial community, and only then deployed in the process of interiorization and, if we want, of transcendence. By its very nature, God-originated love, which is the lectio or charity, precedes any movement of interiority or interiorization, reaches us only through the incarnation of the Son and through the mediation, therefore, of the Church preaching, and we become aware of it only in the act of loving the other person. Hence the quotation number 30 I, um, we read earlier. What emerges, therefore, is an unexpected picture of the Augustinian personal identity, which is the exact opposite of the modern version of it most scholars take for granted. The formation of personal identity relies on the prevenient initiative of God, that is on temporal mediation, that is on the belonging to the community of those who have been led to become aware of being loved and known by God, and were given the possibility of loving, knowing, enjoying other people and themselves in God. Augustine's understanding, therefore, of personal identity is resolutely and inescapably theological, historical, and ecclesial. That's my conclusion. Thank you. very much. We have uh, half an hour or so. Um, that was uh, <coughs> touched on themes I've often heard or read people touch on before, but persuaded me more than I usually am persuaded. So I, I really Thank you. Um, while people are thinking of their first question, I might ask a first question, which is, just to make it a little more, um, that I sense a real concreteness lurking behind what looks like it might not be. So can you tell us how a right and wrong interpretation of Augustine would work themselves out in a Benedictine monastery. In a Benedictine monastery. Um, For instance, if yes. Um, I think that behind this, let's say, one example is mysticism. What we uh, mean by mysticism. Uh, we have uh, an understanding of mysticism which would be that I have to interiorize, I have to come inside myself. And there I will find... Um, um, I will have access, if I do it in the right way and for the right ascetical forms, to a, an intuition of God, uh, which is going to give me something more than what I can get through external mediation. Okay? Now, this, is, uh, this would have been Augustine, Augustine's first form of mysticism uh, before he converted it to Christianity, it's converted in inverted commas in 386, uh, and even at the beginning, um, in the, um, let's say, in the period of Cassiciacum in Italy, uh, of his um, early dialects. Um, but little by little, Augustine um, um, understands that God is not to be found in this kind of... God gives himself to us not uh, through this inner intuition of something uh, which we'll never know if it is real God or not. God gives himself to us through an external mediation, gives uh, himself to us through Christ, 
And we, if, if we take this seriously, it means he gives himself to us. Objectively, through the knowledge of him, we have thanks to the gospel, thanks to the preaching, and so on and so forth. Uh, objectively, gives himself to us thanks to, let's say, the church, whatever you mean by this. Whether you have a higher or lower version of the church, you have to have some understanding of the church, which means... Uh, some understanding of the fact that uh, if I know Christ is through other people uh, uh, who historically have known through other people um, um, leading back to, that be traced back to Christ but even more so uh, if I come to know Christ at all is because I experience a love and uh, this love yes has a mysterious nature uh, and one of the unending questions for Augustine is how do I find I discover myself able to love in this special way, which does not come from me, uh, certainly, at all. Um, um, and, it is, um, and it is there that uh, we find the real mysticism for Augustine. I think that progressively we go from a kind of platonic mysticism uh, of interiorization to another mysticism, which is the one of the confessions, which is acknowledgement. I acknowledge uh, that I have been loved. Uh, I acknowledge that this having been loved um, reaches far uh, um, deeper than I, I would suspect at the beginning, uh, because the more I start reflecting on my life, on um, who I am, uh, on what it is to be a man or a human person, what it is to know, what it is to exist, uh, the more I discover the extent to which God has loved me. Um, um, so, and I, extend, I discover the extent of my dependence on, on this love. So, uh, concretely, this means that we, um, uh, this different understanding of personal identity uh, shapes different forms of mysticism. So, from a, a kind of mysticism of interiority, which tends to detach myself from the historical um, and uh, ecclesial mediation, I, um, I go to another form of mysticism that um, is equally, I think, uh, touches God, uh, but touches God through love and through confession, through uh, acknowledgement of my dependence on God. That makes sense. I mean, just following on from that, you know, the, the, um, I, you know, it's, I think it's very clear that the sense of dialogue with God, which is the foundational aspect of that, but I mean, you're, you, the, the, the talk is drawing out the very explicit theological uh, importance of just not just God in the you know, philosophical sense or in um, you know a transcendent dialogue, on the, but quite explicitly in terms of Christology and, and mythology yeah, and so on. Yes. Is, is, is Augustine then arguing that without that very explicit context that comes from the preaching in the church, you can't really get to self-knowledge? Yes. Yeah, I'd say that Augustine definitely says yes. Yeah, because for Augustine, really, if you don't know Christ, uh, you can't do philosophy. Uh, there's no philosophy without Christ. So he obviously uh, has great respect for Plato, for, uh, for philosophy, and he draws from it immensely and so on and so forth. But when you see how he treats philosophy and philosophers in City of God, for instance, he's always a bit uh, ironic. Um, he tends to be very critical... Um, and um, and that's obviously there's a um, you find scholars will say that you know um, Augustine thinks that philosophers had an intuition of the Trinity, 
and I take issue with this very strongly in my thesis. I argued, I took the passages in which um, people say, he, Augustine, says that philosophers knew the Trinity, and I, I kind of personally found that no, he's not saying this thing. Um, so for Augustine, in the end, because there is no knowledge without love, and because love is never neutral, so either is uh, lust or is um, uh, God's given love, um, um, then either we are in the dynamic of God's love, which restores the process of knowledge and the self-knowledge, and therefore we know both God, but also we can um, make philosophy in the right way. Or uh, if you are in, in a lustful mode, uh, if you want, uh, then we, uh, we get basically confused. Uh, we run wild. We, are, uh, we, we don't have an uh, ordering principle that, um, that steers the process of knowledge in the right way. Uh, I just want to add one detail which is very important for me, uh, is that we should not make the confusion between uh, there is eros, erotic, love, uh, and there is what we call dilectio, charity, uh, and then there is lust. Now, lust and eros are two different things. So, when Augustine talks about God's given love, it is an erotic love, uh, so that it is a love that yearns for union, that makes vulnerable, um, uh, so that a love that really wants to go somewhere and wants to enjoy something. So it's not it's not that I don't. Uh, uh, so just to make sure that I, I make myself understood, um, the love that reestablishes the proper uh, knowledge is a love which is not lustful, but it has to be erotic. So um, I'd like to know how you read certain passages in Augustine where um, it's not so obvious that um, the passages lend themselves to interpretation in this way. So in um, like Book 7 of the Confessions where he talks about his death to the Platonists and how um, he's met Ambrose at this stage but he's not baptized. Yes. He's tried to read the scriptures, he still doesn't really understand them. Yes. He's having difficulty thinking about God. Um, in, a, in a way that's at all accurate, before he can pray, before the dialogue that happens. And of course, yes. the dialogue is happening all throughout, <clears> but it's happening from the mindset of the older, spiritually mature Augustine. Yes. And when he's describing the stage at which he's coming to an awareness of God, he says it's really the books of the Platonists that helped yes. him because he was thinking of God as some kind of vast ocean. Material. He's locked into material concepts, yes. sense images. And it's only when he comes to become, he says, uh, become aware that you can you can have a kind of knowledge of an of, of an invisible spirit in the way you know yourself that by analogy that and that it, when you look at all those passages, you know, when he starts to interiorize that re reflection on himself and realize that he can't bring himself before his own mind, but he's aware of that power, that active, that active active subject that he is by using his own powers, and that just as he stands in that relation to his body, God must be the, what, what's enabling him, what's giving him that power, because it's, it's contingent on so, yes. so on so forth. Yeah. So, I mean, now, it's true that when you just compare that and other passages where he says things in, in De Trinitate in Books 10 through 13, they sound very much like the kinds of things Descartes says. Now, because Descartes writing you know, over a thousand years later, and yeah. he's not a theologian, yeah. um, and he's not interested in a lot of things, at least in his writings, that yeah. Augustine is explicitly interested in make, having theological reflection on, yeah. 
Um, yeah, of course there are all kinds of differences, but the striking similarities are there too. And, and yeah. it's true that Augustine, or sorry, Descartes won't emphasize the um, the, the love that can come from reflective knowledge yeah. and the kind of implications that has has for the spiritual life and one's relation with God and how that can be mediated to the church and so on. But yeah. We wouldn't necessarily expect that yeah. to be there. At the same time, there are all kinds of interesting things that scholars will want to pick out and say, I don't see anybody else making these kinds of insights about um, the fact that there are certain kinds of thoughts that are impossible to form falsely. Yeah. But you see that recognized by people like, let's say, Descartes and Augustine, and yeah. more is made of that yeah. uh, for their own epistemology. Yes. So, this, so the similarities are striking too, yeah. but then um, you're, you know, the kind of the big conclusion you wanted to have it in uh, sentence 37 about, therefore, you know, this Augustinian dynamic, yes, maybe it's not pre, maybe it's not modern, and maybe it's not even good to say it's pre-Cartesian, but it helps to say maybe Descartes is more yes. Augustinian yes. than than you might have otherwise thought. And yes. Even though Descartes' his letter says, well, I, didn't, I hadn't really read Augustine. Yeah. It's, it, you know, he was so he was hanging around with the French oratorians yes. who were, who were yeah. very Augustinian. He certainly knew the confession. Right. right. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah. that's, yeah. I mean, I'd say that uh, the Platonic books were very important for Augustine, um, not, uh, not in terms, uh, because they removed an obstacle. Uh, to conversion, which was the fact that he could not think of God spiritually uh, because he was uh, influenced by the Manichaean material understanding of divinity. Uh, but the actual conversion uh, was something that uh, is described as an entirely different process, is the, the garden scene in which basically he's only when he converts to Christ. But Christ is a very kind of concrete figure. It's this Christ that's being preached to him by Ambrose. Is the Christ which is um, known in the Gospels. Now, the interesting thing is that already many, many years earlier, um, when he reads the Hortensis of, uh, of, of Cicero, already Augustine says um, that uh, something like, I don't remember the question, there's no philosophy without Christ. Uh, so that talking about conversion... <coughs> Um, in uh, 3886 is, has to be done in a certain way. It's not that uh, Augustine was not a Christian before, or that he had not accepted, to some extent, some sort of allegiance to Christ. But the moment of his conversion is the moment where he, um, um, in some sense, he really accepts that, I think, uh, the Christ mediated through the church through, or through the historical mediation uh, is, uh, is something else and he has to convert to this um, so the moment in which he does not look for God only through this interiorization and transcendence process but he accepts that even if it's anathema to a platonic mentality you come to knowledge of God through the external mediation and not through the internal one so the interiorization and, and transcendence, this process, still remains present in Augustine's thought. So I, because it's Platonist, I mean, it's, it's been shaped by, by Platonic mentality. But um, increasingly, and the Trinitate is, um, is the work of his maturity, uh, most of the passages here are passages in, of the years, um, let's say, after 415 or 420. Um, the more Augustine goes through also to different polemics, so the Donatist and the Pelagian controversy, the more he, he realizes that uh, if we, we are to know God, to know ourselves, to know anything else, it has to be thanks to love. And, to the, and there's only one love that matters, is God's love. Um, so it's, um, I, I kind of 
um, stress the contrast here because I want to make a point. Um, but I think that this is the right uh, tra trajectory. Uh, now, when it comes to the, the other point you, you raise, um, there are similarities with the past. This is evident. I mean, when you read the Dubi Tuergo Sum and the Kodji Tuergo Sum, they're very similar. Uh, and there's also a problem with the... Descartes has the dubitzer also. The cogito is the one in the discourse, and the meditations yeah. is the dubitzer. Exactly. And there's also uh, issues about the interpretation of Descartes himself. So Jean-Luc Marion, uh, for instance, argues very strongly that uh, it's not self-certainty that establishes God's certainty in Descartes, but it's the other way around. So we'd be much more Augustinian in this sense that we are prepared to think today. Uh, so it is not so much, let's say, about uh, uh, the interpretation of Descartes, but the interpretation of modernity. So is Augustine a pre-modern? Is Augustine someone who wants to establish the certainty of everything on the basis of self-certainty? I'd say certainly not, um, because of the things I've tried to say so far. Leader? Just, this is a point of clarification, probably more than anything else, and because I don't know Augustine very well, but in 38.2, the first point, um, you say that the one kind of love is the disorderly love that turns us away from ourselves, which obstructs our self-knowledge. But what I've heard you say so far, and what I know of Augustine, makes me wonder about um, the... Sort of what, what's the opposite of that then? Because if Augustine has his famous definition of sin as homo incubatus in se, sort of turning in on oneself, then how, how does the ordering then happen? How is it that turning, do we turn away from ourselves in order to know ourselves or turn towards ourselves to know ourselves? Does that make sense? Uh, the right kind of love for Augustine, okay, is that we have, um, everything is good, first of all. Uh, so, there is, uh, um, so there is goodness in everything. So uh, the right kind of love is a love that finds the goodness in everything, uh, but does not stop that, relates um, lesser goods to higher goods and puts them in the right ordering. Um, this seems a bit too instrumental, though. So you have the Augustine of the Deutrina Christiana, which is the Augustine of the years 390s, just after his conversion, who would say that, um, um, that the only thing you can enjoy uh, you can, is God, and everything else is to be used um, um, uh, with an aim to enjoy God, including other people. So even love of other people is only instrumental to loving God, which sounds to us very kind of very strange. Uh, and, and you know you have to give a positive interpretation of that. It's a bit complicated, but it can be done. But it is very interesting to me that in thinking about the Trinity, in thinking about God's erotic life in the end, love in the end, uh, Augustine comes to uh, saying that uh, we can enjoy not only God but also ourselves and other people out of God or in God. So that the right kind of love is a love that, um, on one hand, um, goes towards the higher good, on one hand sees the good in everything else. On the other hand, uh, orders the inferior goods to the higher goods. But on the, in the end also, um, when I acknowledge that the love through which I love is God's given, it allows me to enjoy even, not everything, but at least other people and myself in God. Uh, so it's a love which, uh, which does not allow myself to stop at any level. Um, uh, so I don't allow my love for my iPhone 
to um, to take me um, to basically to absorb myself so much that I I sacrifice for this uh, love for um, a higher form of love for another person, let's say. Um, but yes, at the same time, you know, I can probably enjoy my iPhone because it's a good thing. Um, so, <laughs> so it's the important thing is that it don't stop that. So lust is, uh, for instance, so destructive because it's something that makes me stop there and I don't see anything else. And I identify with this thing so much that I even forget myself because I identify with this thing outside myself so much. Francis, did you have a question? Um, there's a kind of answer, but I was just going to pick up on the distinction you made before between lustful and erotic love. It sounds very interesting. And whether it's to do something to do with um, the, the fact that it seems, from a Christian perspective, Plato goes wrong with his doctrine of recollection, and um, it's almost as if at that point, that's the point where eros lapses into lustful love, uh, because it, it, that's where the sort of interiority starts. Um, so I don't know. Um, yeah, what would you say about the kind of... Um, I suppose it also links a bit to whether Augustine's platonic or not. Yes. Would yeah. you say anything about that? Well, I mean, um, uh, to me, to me that's, that's been... Um, the thing is that God wants something from us, uh, wants to be united with us, wants us to be part of his life. Um, uh, we are not just uh, thrust into being, but we are set in motion. Um, so to exist is to exist with a desire, uh, which is, defines who we are, for something. Um, so Augustine famously says that we are um, created for God, uh, and we are restless until we find our rest in God. That's my definition of erotic love, is the fact that we are restless until we, we are united with the object of our love. So, that, um, so it is as simple as that. I mean, it's, um, uh, lust is something that um, uh, is a misinterpretation of my restlessness and my attempt to, to pacify it by clinging to anything which is not God. Or, or which, or yeah, or loving things not as a way to uh, um, uh, reach God in the end. Um, so lust stops me, whereas uh, eros, the kind, of, the right kind of eros, is, is something that through every kind of love leads me to God. And also, I'd say uh, eros, uh, the right kind of eros, is a love. Um, a love which is powered by God's love. So the more I, I, I let God love myself, the more I will be able to love in the right way uh, everything else. Thanks. Um, just go back to Descartes. Yeah. Descartes moves from Descartes move from knowledge of self to knowledge of God partly has an apologetic purpose yes. trying to demonstrate the existence of God. Yeah. Is that a question that would even beyond Augustine's agenda or would he simply take the existence of God as a given from which philosophy has to be to start? Yeah, I suppose it's a modern problem. A modern yeah, question. yeah, a modern question. I think he um, 
It is also debatable whether, I mean, as I told you, there are interpretations of the, I'm not expert in Descartes at all, which question also that whether this was Descartes' argument. But it is true that after Descartes, this became very much the, um, the, this apologetics. And, you know, do you know this guy called Buckley, um, the genesis of modern atheism, basically says, he gave a series of lectures in Oxford when I was there. And he basically argues that, you know, this is the source of modern atheism, <laughs> precisely this apologetic argument. Um, Augustine, I don't think he's, he's bothered by this at all. Um, absolutely not. I mean, he, uh, um, on the contrary, it, it seems to me that really is God's certainty that is that I, I'm more certain of God than of myself. Um, in the, um, the Trinitate, he says very strongly, I'm more certain of God's love uh, than of myself. Um, so. That's where he started. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just following up on that, it, it seems to me that I mean, the, the modern Descartes, it's, it's the self is in dialogue with ideas, yes. not with a reality. With a, yeah, exactly. So the, I mean, God is a foundational reality. Yeah. Not, not a, and it's not the idea of God, not the idea of the self, which is what Descartes begins to focus on. Yeah. Um, but, but just to correct that, yeah, it's an intuit, almost an intuitive thing. Absolutely. Since there's a space I might come back in as the chair and ask a question that I was thinking about through much of it, which is, um, this is a view on which it's not just there's no salvation outside the church, but there's no self-awareness outside the church, yeah. I think. So what would you do, as I'm guessing, as a modern person who might not actually want to say to every atheist or Jew or Buddhist yes. that you meet? you have no self-knowledge. How would you rework Augustine if you, unless you are so inclined to yes. say really nobody knows himself at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I obviously, uh, Augustine, again, I mean, like, like the apologetical question, this wasn't a question Augustine asked. Um, no. So he didn't think about that. Um, as a, as a, personally, I have no problem in, uh, uh, on one hand, acknowledging that um, yeah, that evidently God's uh, acts um, 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 outside the visible limits of the church um, and in ways which are entirely mysterious. Uh, I would be unwilling, I think, to probe too much the way God acts outside the church um, because I think that from a theological viewpoint... I don't know how many instruments we have to I do can that. Hear Carl here, yeah, Carl <laughs> <laughs> No, but I want I, I want to stress something. It's not because I don't believe. I think that uh, we cannot be Christians without uh, without confessing that God wants everyone to be saved, and so God has His own ways of doing it. Um, I question sometimes. This probably is my little button thing. The interest of probing too much in that direction, which might distract us, I think, a little to what it's our priority should be. Um, but I want. To, I probably want to say also another thing, is that in any case, the only way I have, uh, it seems to me, to uh, acknowledge what. God's action outside the visible limitation of the church is, and there is a God's action, the only criteria I have are those given to me through revelation. So that I have to judge. Uh, so when I, I kind of encounter foreign religion, foreign philosophy, someone, a philosophy which has been developed outside the, limit, the limits of Christianity, um, I, I have to 
look at it in light of the gospel and see right. what. Yeah. So I use salvation outside the church in order to introduce my question, but I was really asking about self-knowledge outside mm. of the church, which seems to yes. be the implication. And so I have to. Th so when I when I'm listening to this, I can think, yes, if nobody had ever asked me, told me, know yourself, or you know, if if I'd never been addressed by my mother. Uh, and so on by all these people, then I wouldn't have the self-knowledge. That all makes sense. But it's very hard for me to to say that someone outside the church who's dressed and loved by other people, which, again, Would maybe... Would not have that kind of... of would, you know, so, it's, it's hard. So, so this kind of strong argument about something that's happening only through the church, only through Christ. Uh, forget salvation, but just self-knowledge. Yeah, it's self -knowledge. quite it, hard to... It is true that uh, the, the, the sense of personal identity... Uh, as we know it, I don't know if I'm saying something contentious, is, is very much a product of Christianity in the end. Um, and when you go into other religions, but uh, no, this is something which I'm saying without having uh, okay, worked on it scientifically. But um, I just know Asian people, for instance, very often in um, um, religions like Buddhism or Confucianism, they, they don't promote the self the sense of self as much as we do. Now, I don't know if this is an answer. Um, I only know that um, that if we buy Augustine's uh, uh, um, kind of uh, inseparability between knowledge and love, and if we buy the fact that only the right kind of love uh, makes uh, the right kind of um, knowledge, and that the right kind of love is God's given love, mediated through, through Christ, then yes, probably would say uh, that uh, the real self-knowledge, um, which is knowing myself as uh, loved from all eternity, uh, as um, knowing myself as, um, as good, uh, to the core um, is, is only available, only available through, through Christianity uh, because we need to be told this uh, I don't know if we have means to find it out by ourselves I don't know I so you're making know. it sound more plausible but mm -hmm. it's just following on because it goes back to my question at the beginning because I asked you and it's a yes or no answer yes. but now you're talking potentially about gradations in self-knowledge which is then brings a different dimension so is you know, the more explicit you put your, yes. your understanding of God within that Christian context, because yeah. given to that it leads to greater self-knowledge, or is it simply yes or no? You see. Yeah, yeah. So yes or no, I wouldn't go for yes or no. Yes, I wouldn't go for yes or no because I mean, if we believe that the Holy Spirit is acting everywhere, we have to believe that there is a real love. Uh, and you know, we know that it is real love elsewhere. And so um, that. Um, uh, that this has to lead to some sort of wisdom um, um, which implies these levels of self-knowledge. Um, it's only the thing that I think that Augustine and you know, Bach would be unwilling to go in that direction. Um, that's, that's, that's the only thing I would say. Even to perhaps take that one step further again, it's perhaps not just that it's a binary between different contexts or even gradations, yes. but that um, both are interwoven within each of us. So the, yes. you know, the wheat and tares isn't two different parts of the world. It's not even 
the different people in the church. Yes. The wheat and tares is in each of our souls. In each of us. That's that's. Our, so yeah. the, the, the the two desires, the two loves, the two pulls. Yes. The, the dialectic <coughs> is constantly going on within each of us. Yes. Yeah. Um, even within the soul of the saint, presumably. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I would say that. No, it's not that there are... Because, I mean, we are probably just as unevangelized inside the church as we are uh, as, as outside. So, so this, is, this is, I think, in, in formal terms. Uh, but concretely, I would say that probably... Yeah, I would... If I understand what you want to say, is that I'd say that even... Um, who can say that he has... Um, um, uh, fully got the right kind of love that leads to the kind of right kind of self knowledge. Not even who can be secure. Secure about the that. Assumption yeah, yeah. That we are properly in it. Yeah, yeah. So even Augustine probably would not have said that. Yeah, yeah. I think especially Augustine. Yeah, yeah no, especially he wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't have said no. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for a very uh, stimulating, rich, and uh, illuminating talk. Thank you. Thank you.